Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcasts will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a wonderful team of producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. I'll be back with today's episode. In today's episode, we'll talk about some of the concerns raising our children in secular schools, practical steps to protect them, and how the church can give guidance on how to educate our children from a biblical perspective. My guest today is one of our editors, Sister Tynika Harris Coronado. Tynika is a devoted wife, mother, and humble servant, trying to spread love and please God each day of her life. She has been married to her hardworking and loyal husband, David Coronado, for 13 years. Together, they have five beautiful and intelligent children. Tynika is a native of Chicago. She grew up on the South Side, being the fourth of six children in her family. She attended Chicago public schools for elementary and high school. She has earned both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in computer science. And her full-time occupation is in the IT field. She is a loyal member of CTCM, where she enjoys serving in the temple as part of the media ministry and the newly formed family ministry team. Ben are dealing with at this point in their marriage is learning to parent effectively in this world with their growing family. They are passionate about getting it right since they believe their children are the legacy and they need to be groomed and guided from a young age so that they are inclined to live according to God's standards unapologetically. Praise the Lord and welcome to the elephant in the room, Tainika. Praise the Lord, Bishop. How are you? I'm doing just fine. What a treat. What a pleasure it is to have you after editing all of these podcasts to be our guest. <laughs> yes, it is very interesting to be on the other side of things. And you get to you get a chance to edit your own episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Tanika, we're we're going to talk about a very serious topic that you and David and I have talked about very passionately, and that is the challenges um, concerning raising our children in the secular school systems. Tell me, what are some of the, the challenges that you and David are having with raising your beautiful children in the secular school systems? Yes, sure. So we actually have two school-aged children. One is nine and one is seven. And so one's in the first grade and the third grade. And just in these several years they've been in school, we've, we've learned a lot of things about things that are put in place in the school system. For example, 
um, curriculums that are being taught. So there's the sexual health education that's being taught from K through 12. Now, I think when we were in school, it was only taught maybe in high school, maybe mm-hmm. middle school, but now it actually goes all the way down to, to the grade kindergarten and up. So just being aware of that. Um, there's also other curriculums like the social emotional learning curriculum that can be helpful in some ways, but it's just, it's something that we have to be aware of as parents and how that affects or influences our children. Um, another curriculum that's put in place is the mindfulness. Um, so I know you've spoken about that even in services and how that kind of relates to yoga, it's kind of masking some things. So just, just being aware of those curriculums. So one of the challenges is, you know, those curriculums that are standard and put in place. Another is policies, policies that are coming down and being put in place um, in the school system. So gender neutral restrooms and using pronouns. And so it's being aware of those policies and being able to kind of talk to your kids about, you know, what do those mean? Um, but we have to be aware of them first as parents to even know that it's, it, it might be a challenge to our families. Uh, I think another thing we've learned is knowing that our children interact with other children. They interact with their teachers. They interact with administrators. And some of those children, teachers or administrators, may have alternative lifestyles or different lifestyles that our children learn about just by interacting with them. So that may have an influence on them. And so we have to kind of keep tabs on that as well. Um, and then with all of this, um, if we're teaching our children to be um, to, to live out this Christian lifestyle, knowing that. Another challenge is that they may feel ostracized at some point in school for these viewpoints. So how do we empower them to not to not feel that way or to not have a negative effect on them? So I think those are some of the the challenges that that we've seen. So in our in our conversation earlier, you and I talked about um, practicing yoga in the public school systems and maybe having to have your child sit out doing that yoga practice at sitting out is actually standing out. How has your children responded to having to sit out or um, be, be um, different from the other children? Are they struggling with that? You know, initially uh, I think they did only because if you think about it, there's the reaction from the other students, but it's also, you know, wondering how the teacher is kind of handling that. So what I would do is ask, you know, ask my daughter, how, how was it today sitting out? And she was like, it was okay. Um, you know, a lot of my classmates asked me why I was sitting over there. And I just said, you know, I don't do yoga. So at first it was really, it was really difficult because it's all the attention and everyone else is doing it. Um, and like I said, sometimes depending on how the teacher handles it, you know, you'd hope the teacher would step in. You know, if I've talked to the teacher, she could answer that on behalf of the student. But it seemed that my, my daughter was kind of feeling like she had to answer those questions. And so we would talk about it at home and I would try to help her understand, you know, this is it's OK to feel this way. Not everyone believes the same thing. We don't have to do it just because everyone else does. But after a while, she built up the confidence. And to be honest, when you have one child that's been through it and they've been able to deal with it, then the next child that deals with it, it's easier because they talk to each other and give each other ways to, to deal with those situations. And it kind of continues on and on. So that was a great benefit with taking the time with the first child to make sure she felt comfortable and express her feelings and talk to her about it when I knew they had that going on that day. And so that she can explain that to her sister. So when you have the conversation with the, with the teacher, 
that you don't teach your teach your children to practice yoga and that you would prefer for them to sit out, what kind of response or reaction do you get from the teachers? The teachers are usually respectful about it. They understand that not everyone is, you know, wants to do yoga, wants their children to participate in it. So the response is, is always in respectful. They, they understand and they have to come up with an activity for her to do um, while that's going on. So I think in some ways that may not be handled as well. Um, but I know I feel like this year they at least had, OK, well, you can go to art class and do this in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the first year it was kind of like I just sit on this couch in the same room <laughs> until we figure out what to do with you wow. but I think they've gotten better and they understand that let's give them another activity to do so that it's not them standing out sitting in that classroom by themselves so they did respond uh, in that way let's talk a little bit about uh, sexuality this has become a major issue around the world and it is affecting families that believe in sanctification and holiness and it is very challenging for parents to raise their children in secular schools especially with the gender neutral restrooms the use of pronouns and etc have your children had to come face to face with any of these sexuality issues yes so our children's school they have put the gender neutral restrooms in place. And so with that, there's signage. They changed the signage on those rooms. And so, you know, my children will come home and say, hey, they, they changed the sign on the bathroom. I don't know what it means. Wow. You know, so they'll have those, those conversations and questions. And if I know what it is, I'll try to explain it to them and say, yes, there are restrooms now and explain to them why the school put it in place let me explain to you why this lifestyle exists and how it can become a policy in your school. So I try to go into it with them so that they understand. So they have asked me questions about that. Um, They haven't asked me questions about the pronouns, but I noticed that in some of the literature that they've read in school, um, the characters in the stories may be called Z. So like that's a pronoun that can be used mm-hmm. for either gender. By calling the character the pronoun and the student reads it and they're using it. And so it, it's it's kind of a even kind of a passive way of putting it into their language and vocabulary without even explaining what it really means. So um, as a parent, I just had to be aware of that because they didn't even know that was what what was going on. Your oldest child is is nine years old. Would you say that she has a pretty healthy concept of of her sexuality at this point? I wouldn't say it's fully developed. Um, And I think that's one of the struggles as a parent is trying to figure out what does that mean? Um, Or just looking to the Bible to see how can I teach my child about their sexuality? How can I teach her that God made boys, God made girls, God doesn't make mistakes, God intended things to be this way, people in the world may do things a different way. And so we all have a choice to make. Are we going to do it God's way? Are we going to do it our way? And so trying to take that as a basis, saying that this is what God intended, and people make the decisions either way. And so I think she understands that she's a female, she understands that she has different body parts, and she understands that, you know, God made us a certain way and that's and it's in a beautiful way. 
But what we're in the process of teaching them about is these other pieces, these, you know, about marriage, about relationships, about attraction, about your body developing. How do we teach these things in a way that developmental, that teaches them to respect their bodies and to cherish them and to not kind of engage in things that their class, you may see your classmates doing even at this young age. So um, I think that's something that's really it's really important to think about how do we educate our children about their sexuality? How do we make them aware of the fact that it's not something to be ashamed of, mm-hmm. but God created us this way, but how do we teach them to respect it? And how do we teach them to cherish it as they get older into their older years and even move on out of our households? It sounds like you and David are very comfortable talking about sexuality with your with your children and it's open it's an open conversation in the home do you find uh, your children struggling with being able to express their thoughts about their sexuality or even asking questions based on what they see in the school system or in the public i think that when you talk to your children about these topics and you're open with them, they're more open to you. Mm -hmm. And so even as we talk about things in the Bible or we start to talk about the way to dress, if we're out somewhere, my daughter may see someone and say something about, wow, you know, I think that that guy is looking at that woman. Well, (laughs) I know. Well, let me explain this, Sonia. So it's natural for a male to be attracted to a female yeah but it's also my our responsibility as females to dress in a modest way so that we don't kind of engage that natural you know that natural sense that a male may have and so she said okay well i see her clothing so i think that may be so it's them making those connections themselves that then kind of help them grow up and say i i saw that i see how it works and i need to make better decisions as a as i grow older but again, it's also things that they see in school about the older kids and that she'll come home and ask me questions. Like, I noticed this in the bathroom and this person was doing this. What is that all about? And I'll say, well, Sonia, that's natural. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. This is a part of being a female. This is a, this is a part of your body developing and growing the way God intended it to grow. So it's having those conversations. And the more you have them and the more open you are, the more open they are to you, hopefully, as they get older, to bringing those things up. Because you want you want your children to come to you as a parent. You don't want them to start just guessing or depending right. on others and teachers and other classmates to get these questions answered. So as much as it may be like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this, and you say, don't worry about that. Yeah. That saying that or saying nothing can be really, really um, challenging and detrimental to your child's development and their ability to trust you and come to you for, for information. And you mentioned about Sonia seeing the guy looking at the the woman and she addressed Mm -hmm. it with you. How do we protect our children in the public school systems with what they're seeing out in the public? Now, just being practical and realistic, we can't protect them from everything. No, we can't. You know, so it is important that we have these conversations with them, that we educate them, and they're not getting it from school or off the internet. Other than that, Tainika, 
what measures do you and David have in place in order to protect your children? Right. So I would say, first and foremost, something that has become really important for us, something we weren't doing before is just, in general, equipping our kids with as much of the word of God as possible and mm -hmm. making sure they understand it. So we're not, you know, we're not elders or evangelists or even Bible scholars, but we've understood in the last couple of years that the more we can teach them about what God says um, and the more we can relate that to their lives, mm -hmm. then the more wisdom they have mm -hmm. and they're able to make those decisions based off of God's word and not just what Mir David said to them. And so we found out, found this out during the pandemic when there was no Sunday school, we couldn't take them to church. David looked at me and he's like, we have to teach our kids Sunday school. And I said, that's wonderful. Okay. Wow. That How is wonderful. How do we do this? So we started with these little Bible books with the stories, and then we eventually found resources, and we paid for a resource uh, called Superbook that we were able to share these stories. And so I would look up the scriptures, we would read the scriptures, talk about the scriptures, watch the video, have them respond to us, and then we would, you know, they would ask questions and apply it, teach them how to apply it to their lives. So. It took a lot of work. I have a really newfound respect for Sunday school teachers, <laughs> education teachers. Because Make sure you tell Superintendent to, Young that, okay? Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, to, to try to take, you know, the Bible, which people can look at it, oh, this, is, this, this language is so difficult to understand, but it's got these really important stories that are true. And if you actually just follow them, whether you're a child or adult, and you can understand them and apply it to your life, you'll always have that that arrow. You'll always have that compass for where to go. And and the thing is, we may think, oh, there's no, it, it, there's no topic you can't find something in the Bible for. So whether it's sexual education or sexuality, it's all there. And so if you give them that foundation, they can use that to make decisions as they go through life. So I think that's the number one thing to do to protect your children is to try to get the word of God in them, however they can understand it, whatever age they are. Uh, we also try to make sure we have positive and encouraging messaging around the house, whether it's the music we listen to mm -hmm. or the radio stations we listen to, because it's really important to try to normalize the Christian lifestyle. They're going to school. They're not seeing that everybody they go to school with is not Christian. Um, so it's like, it's just our household. Is it just our house, mom? Is it just the people at church? How can we normalize this lifestyle so that they see other children li living it or mm -hmm. they hear it on the radio, mm -hmm. people testifying on the radio, music that's actually talking about how good God is. So how can you feel that in their environment so that it can kind of contest what they're actually dealing with in school or in the world? So I think those are some important pieces, but of course there's other practical things that we can do to try to protect our children as they're in the public school system. For example, just being aware of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, every year if you're in CPS, you can opt your children out each year, but you have to actually send in a letter to opt them out of the sexual health you, education. You, you, can, you can opt them out of the sexual health education curriculums? Yes, you can opt them out, but you have to send an email in. And if you miss the deadline for sending that email in, then they'll just put them into the class. It'll take the place of their PE and you probably wouldn't even know it. So you have to be paying attention to when the school says, hey, we're starting sexual health education. If you wanna opt out, let us know. And so that's what we do each year, um, just to make sure that they're, they're not in that curriculum, but 
as they're going through that curriculum at school, we try to kind of read the books that we have at home to kind of help um, kind of help talk about those topics that they do have. Do the do do the other students ask like Sonia? Sonia, why aren't you attending the the sex health education classes or girl, you're missing some some important information. Why don't your families allow your family doesn't allow you to attend the classes? Has she had to experience that? Yeah, so like I mentioned, they've actually gotten a lot better with it. So she actually went to art class when they were doing the sexual health education. And so that was kind of nice for her. And she didn't really get as much questions because she was just in a completely different classroom, okay. not sitting to the side. Okay. Uh, my other daughter, she was put into a kind of a, a fourth grade reading class. So she got to read with fourth graders okay. <laughs> self-help education for her class. So they didn't feel left out and they were actually doing something that they love to do. Um, like my oldest loves art and my seven year old, she loves reading. So um, they really did find some good things for them to do um, in that class. So in the place of that class, part of protecting our children is being active in their lives with our faith at home seven days a week, giving them that support while they're in the secular school systems and then bringing them to the temple to where they can have this corporate worship and experience with other families. Is that what I'm understanding you're saying? Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. It's being aware, mm -hmm. being aware and being involved. Now you, you keep, you keep, um, you keep an awareness also about who your children are interacting with, huh? Yes, yes, we have to. Um, so I'm, I'm even with the parents, so other parents of students, um, the kids in their classrooms, their teachers, any moment I have the opportunity to go up to the school, whether it's just dropping them off or lingering around afterwards to talk to the principal or the assistant principal, um, coming up for parent principal meetings and then just stopping in the hallway to talk to the music teacher. So I try to be really aware of the teachers that are in school and have a real conversation with them just to know who they are um, and the teachers as well, making sure that you meet with them, going to the parent teacher conferences, you know, emailing them and, and seeing how they interact with you as well. And then the kids, it's, it's hard to really get to know the kids unless you maybe do things like chaperone mm -hmm. or at least um, you can volunteer. So I've volunteered to go for career days and talk to the students and then just have them ask questions. Um, or I just ask my kids, Hey, who's in your class? What'd you do today? How was chess? Who did you play? Who did you interact with to see if there's patterns of people that they hang out with a lot or things that they, they say names a lot. So just trying to notice that and being aware of who, who those people are and what they're hearing from those people. So the first thing we ask them when they get in the car, how was your day? What mm -hmm. did you do? Mm -hmm. Who did you talk with? Mm -hmm. And then we just stop talking and listen. Okay. What about the library? Um, I heard uh, Superintendent Angie Young, who works in the uh, school district, she works in the library there and she talked about some of the books that are available to these young children to read. And some of this stuff is terrible. Have you seen anything like that in the, in the library system at the school where your children attend? So our kids, they have library um, I think every Wednesday. And so they have the opportunity 
to check out books. So I know when it's Wednesday mm-hmm. <laughs> to check their book bags or to see, hey, what books did you get from the library? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, with, with, with my seven-year-old, it seems like she's always taking out books about science, you mm-hmm. know, so like matter. And <laughs> so she's just, I don't know, rocks and dinosaurs. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I know that she did bring a book home that was more about, you know, dragons and magic. And, you know, there's a lot of those books around. Um, They get them because they're higher level novels. But um, even just being aware of like, what is this book about? Um, So so those types of things, I don't I don't prefer that they that they read because it's not real. Or if they're going to read it, I say, hey, this is not real. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. Dragons, magic. It's not real. Mm -hmm. So if your teacher gave it to you to try to allow you to get to another reading level, I understand. But everything you put into your mind is in your mind and you can't really take it out. And so just being aware of what they're reading, it's important to just talk to your children and ask, what did you do today? Was anything, you know, did you read anything? What did your teachers do? So, so yes, there are books. Now my, my students haven't, uh, I'm not saying students, my kids haven't really had any big complaints about the library books, but again, I still try to keep tabs on what they bring home on Wednesdays. Um, so that I can talk to them about those things and then try to look and see what the read alouds are going to be for their humanities classes so that I know what they're what they're walking through. So what what are you and David doing and, and how are you doing as it relates to finding Christian resources to to educate your children about their bodies, to cherish and to respect them? Are you are you having good success in finding literature? Yes, yeah, so we we found a few resources that we do like. So one of the books specifically just talks about God made boys and girls. There's other books about, you know, how does God make babies? And it talks about marriage and it goes through how marriage is the the union where children and families should be born. And so it's finding these resources that are able to explain these topics that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. to children that may be three, four, seven, nine years old. And so there's no one comprehensive book that I found. It's kind of like right, right now we're working for about six books that we've found and we like pieces of each book. And so we'll re- we read the books. We don't just give the book to our, our kids. We'll read them to the children and then we'll have conversations after that, um, there are some topics we're still trying to figure out. What language do we want to use? You know, so we're going to the Bible to try to figure out what they say in the Bible. Oh, go in. All right, I don't know if that's appropriate. Yeah. can you use that with your child? You know, what phrase should we use for this? But they already have questions. They're asking questions, and I don't want to turn them away. I want to give them an answer that's sufficient for their age, but it's also in line with um, being a responsible parent and, and, and understanding that you don't want to give them too much information depending on how old they are. So we found some resources and we've also called other parents that we know may have gone through this already to say, hey, what are you doing? What mm-hmm. phrases are you using? How, how has that gone with your kids? Having, a, having support from other, from other families is, is very important, especially those who have raised children in that age group dealt with those challenges and uh, it can be very helpful in the next few minutes that we have Tynika, what role can the church play in giving guidance on how to educate our children from a biblical perspective you you're a pew baby you've matter of fact you were 
you were one of my uh, Sunday school uh, students. You were one of my best Sunday right. school students. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I so, have my do you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what can we do as a church? Because these are very challenging times. I mean, it, it's nothing like the day when when you were in my Sunday school class. It's totally different now. What can we do to help families like you and David? So to take it back to your Sunday school class. I enjoyed your class because you used maps, you used resources, you used information, and you put together a lesson that allowed me to understand the Bible in history as well as the, what the biblical context was. And so those types of classes where you're taking the Bible and relating it to the real world and history that happened is very helpful. So to me, I feel like the, the ideal thing is that there would be some kind of biblically based curriculum that would help explain these topics about sexuality at an, from an early age all the way up to marriage. I mean, that would be great if there was a curriculum in place to teach this systematically and it had kind of a companion part for the parents to help them kind of continue that conversation at home. Now, to create that kind of curriculum, it, it would take some time, of course. But I think that if that existed and our, our students and our kids could sit through it and if we're all in the same church and our children in the same community and they're getting the same equal sexual health education from a Christian perspective, that makes our community more healthy. Our children are healthier. Hopefully their relationships and marriages are healthier for that. Um, absent of an established curriculum, I think just having a strong community and a network within the church would help kind of encourage the sharing of ideas and strategies and methods to raising kids. So if we're all talking to each other, I mean, we, we show up on Sunday, we show up on Wednesday and we maybe chat a little bit afterwards, but mm -hmm. if we actually were a very close knit networking community where we could actually reach out and say, Hey, I've got this question about raising my child. Does anybody know, is anybody, you know, opting out of the sexual health education? What are you doing? Um, that whether it's chat groups or just connecting somehow in a forum would be really helpful. Um, figuring out ways to kind of tap into the mother's board or other older parents that have that experience and they went through this. Um, so just being able to lean on just the other members in general mm -hmm. to get their experiences and to be able to talk about that would, would, be, would be really helpful um, because we're all a part of the same community and we're trying to live the same lifestyle and we want to normalize it for our kids. So, so how can we do that? Community is key. Take take just um, a few a few uh, a minute or so, Tainika, and tell me what is your idea of community within the church? I think about the um, to be honest, uh, the disciples and Jesus, and how they, you know, Jesus made say a speech or, or give a sermon or make a statement or heal a person. And then he gives a statement and then the disciples would go back and talk to themselves. They would talk amongst themselves. They would reason with themselves. They would help answer each other's questions. Um, and they would help others understand that too. And they would break bread together and they would eat and they would learn and educate themselves as a group. So when I think about that, it's, we should be, um, if we could be that kind of community where we're not as, detached by our or siloed by our own neighborhoods or where we live or you know where we grew up and what we do after church and what our professions are but if we were really um more a closer community where i could just pick up the phone and talk to someone and trust that 
that our conversation is productive and they're not going to go and, you know, talk about me behind my back about mm-hmm. what I said mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. questions I asked. Um, but that we were actually really resources and we were trying to help each other understand the Bible as it relates to these topics that were coming up. If we could talk about budgeting, even all these other topics that come up in a marriage or a family, how do you raise kids? What do you do with this? How do you deal with a teenager that's got this kind of attitude? There's so much that we have to deal with, but it feels like right now families could technically they they feel like they're dealing with that alone yeah. and not really kind of talking to other families at the church and getting that support and getting that validation and then getting a solution, um, a biblical solution. Uh, and it just at least, at least having someone to lean on to talk about these things. So um, I guess ideally for me, it's just being more aware of one another and the one another's lifestyles and, the children and our families and the issues that we deal with, it's not unique to us. We're all dealing with right, them. So if we can right. deal with them together mm-hmm. um, and work through it together and create, you know, the answers that we have and then pass that on to our children and to others as we continue to grow, hopefully that that builds our community and, and it normalizes our lifestyle and we're more encouraged and motivated to kind of go face the world that we have to face every day. It does take a village, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. Tainika, it has it has been a a pleasure and an honor um, to have you on the podcast with us. You and I, um, we work together very beautifully, and I was just super excited when the producers, when we talked several weeks ago about having this this conversation, and I really believe that it's been helpful to to many parents and families. This is not going to be the end of all conversation. We're challenged right now in order to to continue to develop community within our congregation so that we can be more helpful to families. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed Today's episode, my guest was Sister Tynika Harris Coronado, who is one of our editors along with Lady Satoya Clanton. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and via email at theelephant2022 at gmail.com. Be safe, stay healthy, God bless.